You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is James Ketchell. James, also known as Captain Ketch, is an adventurer, motivational speaker and author. On the 1st of February 2014, you became the first and only person on the planet to have rode the Atlantic, summited Mount Everest and cycled around the world. In 2015, you published your first book, The Ultimate Triathlon. Bear Grylls said of it, as you read James's story, you will begin to believe that you too could achieve the extraordinary. You've received extensive coverage in the national media and the press, and your blogs have appeared in magazines including Men's Health and Sidetracked. You're an ambassador for children's charities Over the Wall and Kindled Spirit, as well as the Scouts, and you've recently become a fully qualified gyrocopter pilot. James, it's truly an honour to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That, that sounded like quite a cool intro, didn't it? I was, I was, that's cool. I'm happy with that. Thank it really you. is. It really is. It's, it's one of the coolest intros that I've probably ever read, <laughs> if, if we're being honest. Um, I mean, I always like to, to ask, once I've kind of said all that as the intro piece, I mean, sitting there now, what, what does it make you feel? Do you know what? For a second, I thought, wow, this guy sounds pretty cool. And then I realised it's just me. So um, I, don't know, I don't really think about it too much, if I'm really honest. <laughs> really? It's really interesting, yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously, we've had a, an opportunity to spend a bit of time together. And yeah, you, awesome. you are an incredibly humble individual. Ah, that's very is... kind of you. I've, it's what, my parents always said, never, ever boast about anything. And... Um, I'm not really one for saying, hey, look at me, look what I've done. So I just, I do like sharing stories, but um, yeah, I'm not really one for sort of saying I've done this, I've done that. It's just, that's, that's just not me. Everyone's different, but yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. I just like to go about my stuff and just do it. And, and I learned, I learned a few years ago that actually some of the, some of the greatest people on this planet you've never heard of. <laughs> so yeah, not that I'm in that category, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, I mean, it would be great to, to kind of go back to, I suppose, your early life and hear a bit about your, your story, you know, where you grew up, what you were like, etc. <sighs> what was I like? Okay. So I grew up in a little town in Hampshire, North Hampshire called Basingstoke. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what I was like, if I'm really honest with you, I've always been, I was always a good boy when I was younger. I was always a kind person. But I was a bit, I was a bit silly. I was a little bit like a, a, a sort of a Dennis the Menace. I, I messed about a lot, kind of got into trouble, bit of mischief. And, you know, I'd go out and make camps and build fires and do things I probably shouldn't have done. Um, but then I suppose in my later life, sort of as I become a, a teenager and, and in, into my early 20s, I found something that gave me a bit more confidence. And that was going to the gym. When I was young, I was very skinny. I was, my face was riddled with spots. I had zero confidence. And then all of a sudden I found, I found the gym and I figured out how to get stronger and get bigger. And all of a sudden, when you go from this skinny little kid 
And actually, you start getting bigger, you start getting muscles, and people start saying, wow, James, you look different. What are you doing? Wow, you're going to the gym? All of a sudden, you get this sort of confidence. And I found out what it was like to to set goals and achieve them. And also, going to the gym gave me discipline and structure, which I completely lacked, completely. And all of a sudden, that just as a person, I became more confident. Uh, but when I was young, I I was I was a bit. I guess I was like any ordinarily kid. I was I was a little bit lost. I messed about. I didn't I had didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I had no idea. <laughs> I just kind of did stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, going back to that stage, what did you think that you would likely do as an adult? I had, n- if I'm <laughs> honest with you, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had all these wild ideas, but when I was young, I had very little confidence in myself. I left school with, with z- I had no qualifications, and I wasted the opportunity uh, for someone to teach me and learn. And that was a big mistake. Luckily, things kind of worked out to a certain extent, but I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I always struggled academically. I didn't really know if I wanted to. I wanted to perhaps do something outside. Um, I, I actually I fell into working in a gym as well, which which I really enjoyed. That was quite physical, and I, I ended up being quite good with people. I liked interacting with people. I liked talking, and I also like listening. Believe it or not, I do talk a lot, but I like to <laughs> listen as well. Mm-hmm. And I, that actually stood me in good stead to be, to become a personal trainer and things. And then I ended up moving into sort of. I actually got made redundant from from that and ended up moving into a sales job and that sales is just talking to people and listening and understanding and I ended up doing quite well in that yeah excellent but I had no idea and it's funny isn't it because if you'd have said to me when I was uh, 13 14 you know I was a bit lost I, I had no drive I had no motivation I was so lazy um if you'd have said to me, hey, James, when you're 35 years old, you'll have done this, this and this. You'll have written a book. You'll be traveling around the world speaking about your experiences. Yeah. You'll be uh, about to do this. And I would say, you, you can't even dream that. You can't even make that up. That's, that's not going to be me. <laughs> but I tell you what, life, life is full of surprises and it's never too late. And you never know what's around the corner. And I think for me, over the last sort of 10 years, I've actually worked out that. And you hear this, people talking about this, and you think, well, I'm not really sure it's true. But I'll tell you something. Every single person out there has the ability uh, to be whoever they want to be. You just got to want it enough. And it was that first sort of big adventure that I got into on a road across the Atlantic that gave me even more confidence. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you start to, to think, well, okay, if I can do that... Why can't I do this? Because I didn't do anything special. I just, I just rode a lot on, I don't know, I, I did it. So if I really push myself, what more can I do? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you find that you're, you're a different person and you're doing different things and your life's sort of going off. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I wish I could do that or, you know, wish I've done this. And actually the reality is it's not actually that difficult. The hardest part is sort of taking that, that sort of first step. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, I was very nervous about announcing to people that I was going to row across the Atlantic. 
because human beings are scared of failing. So by default, if you do nothing, you can't fail. But actually what I've learned is that's the worst thing you could ever, ever do. It's, you're much better off having a go at something and it not working out than, than not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but stuff also hasn't gone right for me. There's been some things that, that have, have gone wrong, but I've learned from them. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but at what stage in your life did you believe that achieving, you know, anything that you wanted was actually possible? Not until I was a little bit older, into my sort of mid twenties. I didn't. I mean, I, I'm probably still not grown up now, and I'm 35. <laughs> but I don't think I really grew up until I was into my mid mid, possibly even to late twenties. Um, and it, you know, once you've, you've, you've done a few big things, you then start to think, well, hang about, maybe this really is possible. And actually when you, when you take responsibility for who you are and where you want to be, you know, and, and don't rely on someone else to get you here or do things for you, actually you'll be amazed at what you can achieve when you know when when you have the right mindset and you just believe you just got to believe that you can do it yeah yeah <laughs> definitely yeah. definitely one of the major parts in your your story to date was an accident that you actually had yeah, on, a, on a motorbike that. tell me a bit about that yeah i remember that um i mean i was i used to race bikes as a hobby i loved it I wouldn't really say I was an adrenaline junkie, but I love bikes and I love racing bikes. And I'd crashed loads of times before. Generally, just get up and dust yourself off when you crash on a track. But one particular time, I was accelerating out the corner and I was trying to catch someone and I just put a little bit too much throttle down and basically the rear wheel span up. So the back of the bike came round on me and it threw me over the top of the handlebars. Now, I was travelling at about 115 miles an hour at the time. And, um, yeah, you know, when the human body hits concrete at that kind of speed, it can be problematic. And I hit the deck hard and it knocked me out and broke both of my legs. The problem, breaking your legs is not a problem. It's fairly straightforward. We can, you know, repair it all. Mm-hmm. Broke my arm and I broke my hand. But the problem that I had was I damaged my ankle very, very badly. I, uh, I basically destroyed the talus bone. It, it wasn't just a break. It, were broken to pieces mm-hmm. and actually the surgeon said yes when i opened you up it looked like a grenade has gone off that oh, was wow. not really a, a good thing and the ankle has a very doesn't have a particularly good blood supply so once you rupture that blood supply it was never really the same um, so it was the ankle that, that gave me problems and it was all bolted up and it's still bolted up now um, but it was really at that point I mean, it took about two years to make a proper recovery or as good as it was ever going to get. And I was in hospital for a good couple of months. And it was really at that point, you know, when you have something taken away from you that you take for granted every day, Mm. like the ability to get up and walk around and do what you ordinarily do, when that's taken away from you, you realize what you've got Mm -hmm. and you don't know what you've got until you lose it. That, that, there's no shadow of a doubt that's that's true certainly i think anyway and i'd always had this dream that i wanted to try and row a boat across the atlantic ocean but i never really had the guts to do it and i think it's because i was scared of failing i, I guess but it's funny isn't it because when i was lying in that hospital bed i would have given anything just to been able to get up and have a go even if i'd failed it was not really a problem because mm-hmm. at that time i couldn't do anything 
so I guess that was a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a catalyst, a bit of a kickstart, the, the, the kick up the bum that I needed really to get to get moving. And I say to people that actually I fell in, not necessarily a better, but I fell into a different life. So that accident was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm a true believer that life is really all about how you look at things. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been really easy. And don't get me wrong, I was a bit fed up to begin with. But actually, you know, you could you can go two ways. You can think, well, I've broken my legs. I can't really walk very well. This is a disaster. My life's over. Or you can think, well, okay, no problem. It's happened. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to... So it's how yeah. you look at things. And yeah. I wanted to kind of use it as a as an opportunity to try and go after something and i felt like i needed something to aim for as well yeah and so i was like right this is what i'm gonna do yeah yeah. <laughs> i mean i suppose the very fact that you would survive something like that is kind of quite miraculous in and of itself yeah i mean safety equipment in terms of most bike racing has got better it's, um i did have quite a knock to the head uh might explain a few things but but um <laughs> yeah it was no it was no real no real problem in the grand scheme of things yeah, yeah. So, so what was the inspiration for for rowing the Atlantic, and how did you kind of go about planning for that? The inspiration, I think, you know, when I was young, I used to watch a television program called Tintin. Some mm. people may be familiar with that. It's great, great, great children's program. And I think I kind of wanted to be that Tintin. And I don't know where. I think I'd followed someone online or something, or I'd heard about someone rowing across the Atlantic. And when I was younger, I used to, I kind of quite liked adventure. I liked the idea of it. And it was, over many years, the idea was just bubbling away and growing. And it was, yeah, it was really the accident that made me think, I want to try and do this. And and it's a really good question. How how do you go about doing it? Once you know, and once you know other like-minded people, it's not that difficult, but it's quite intimidating to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you want to buy a rowing boat, you don't just pick up a copy of the Auto Trader or go on eBay, you know, you've got, <laughs> yeah. to, you've got to know. So I got in contact with some people that had rowed the Atlantic and asked them about their advice. And, you know, the hardest part was actually raising the funds to try and make it happen. I, I knew nothing about boats and I didn't have the money to buy a brand new boat. So I found a second-hand boat and I was the fourth guy to take this particular boat across and I managed, I, I went to the bank. So I, had, I was working at the time, I had a job. And I went to the bank and I said, listen, I want to buy a car. And they said, yeah, how much do you need? And I think, I, I can't remember how much they gave me. And I walked out of the bank with this money and I thought, wow, I can't believe that. And I went off and I bought a secondhand rowing boat. And then it, it felt real. I had something to show people. Mm. It's like, this is the boat that I'm going to row across the Atlantic in. And this is where you row. This is where you sleep. You cook your food like this. These are the solar panels. The solar panels charge the batteries. The batteries run the water maker, the chart plotter. And all of a sudden, this project became real. I had something to show. It was no longer an idea. It was happening. And then all of a sudden, things just started to sort of progress from there, really. (laughs) I went on a course to learn how to navigate. It's an RYA, Royal Yachting Association. It's called an Ocean Master. It took me a week to do. And there's talks into all of, you know, it covers navigation at sea, safety, all sorts of things, really. And the Spanish authorities, you have to have that, otherwise they won't let you, you, you go. And I ended up setting off from a little place called La Gomera in the Canary Islands and rode to Antigua. 
It's only three thousand miles. Not... Only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was it like? What was the feeling when you had finished it? The feeling that you get, or, or I got, when I rode into English Harbour, was a feeling that I've never been able to replicate or come close to. You know, it took me nearly four months to get across. Um, usually, you row across the Atlantic as a two-man or a four-man. Now, I have no idea why no one would join me, so I decided to go on my own, and, and that was probably the best decision that I ever made. Should usually take about seventy or eighty days to get across, but it, when I crossed back in two thousand and ten, now there are a lot of areas of low pressure, and that low pressure switches the wind direction. So instead of getting blown across, I was getting blown back. It's really demoralizing. And the best way to describe what it's like being out in, in an ocean when the seas are big and it's windy and it's rough, it's like, it's like being on a roller coaster. And no matter how loud you scream, it's never going to stop. It just keeps mm. going and going. But you get used to it after a while. And it took me 110 days, four hours and four minutes to get across. Not that I was counting, right? <laughs> um, and you don't really, you don't see anyone in that. So there's no one it's quite remote once you get out into the Atlantic. When you get, there are shipping lanes, so you do see commercial shipping, believe it or not, there's quite a bit. But once you get out into the middle, the closest people to you are 230 miles above you in the International Space Station orbiting the Earth. So it's pretty remote once you get out there. But when I rode into English Harbour in Antigua, it was incredible. Uh, my parents weren't there. Their flight was cancelled, so they missed my arrival. So that was a bit, that was a bit of a shame. And but it happened to be Antigua Race Week, which is basically when all these rich Americans get together and they race their yachts around the island. And, and there were literally thousands of people there. And I remember as I rode in, it was a Saturday afternoon, about two p.m. So you couldn't have picked a better time to arrive. It's just. <laughs> You know, I spent nearly four months out there and happened to arrive on this day, on this day, and at this time. And uh, it was it was a very strange, surreal feeling because all of these people started coming out. And then these people knew my name. I didn't know them. They knew my name. They knew, they knew about me. Yeah. It was strange. I guess it must have been on the internet or the word got out in Antigua that this lunatic from Britain who'd spent four months in a boat on his own was about to row in. And... You know, I had big yachts were sailing out uh, to sort of meet me and, you know, it was, hey, well done. And people were calling my name. And I thought, how do you know my name? I don't know you. Wow. And then when I, so when you come into English Harbour, you go around a little headland. And then as you come in, the whole harbour, marina, whatever you want to call it, just opens up in front of you. And there was literally all these big, beautiful super yachts. There was hundreds of people literally thousands and there was all sort of beeping their their horns on their boats and waving and cheering and it was incredible and i I remember when i came up to the dock it was it was a very surreal a, a real feeling of happiness and but very strange strangely enough i almost didn't want it to end i spent nearly four months out there all that time and you can't visualize what it's going to be like to to begin with because it's such a such a huge thing to undertake like your mind can't get around the concept of rowing 3,000 miles mm-hmm. and so someone told me they said if you can survive the first three days you can do three months and that's true and when I left when I left um, La Gomera all I wanted to do was get through the first three days that was I didn't think past that and then I was like right okay 
I want to get to the halfway stage because I know if I get to the halfway stage, I'll then be closer to where I want to be. And also the currents get stronger as you get toward, as you get closer to the canaries and they literally, just, it sucks you in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason we, we, I left from the canaries was that as you come out of the canaries, you're utilizing something called the canary current. So the whole mass of ocean is flowing down the side of Africa. And as you get to a lower latitude, so that means closer to the equator, you then pick up the north equatorial current. And again, the whole mass of ocean is flowing towards the Caribbean. Then the winds will start blowing you in. The trade winds start to form. But uh, yeah, it was incredible. When I rode in and I saw all those people, it was a, an overwhelming feeling of happiness and relief. And, and to this day, I've, I have never had a feeling like that since. And I'm not entirely sure I'll ever be able to get that feeling again. I think the only time that would come close to a feeling of happiness and joy and it's, it's quite difficult to articulate what it really felt like unless you've been in that situation before. The only time I think I'll ever get close to a feeling like that would be if I was to ever have like a child or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's in mm. my destiny, but I, yeah, I've, that feeling has never been replicated since. And it was, it was a feeling that I'll never, ever forget. Really? Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder whether you get that sense of euphoria when you complete something else because it's almost like an accumulation of things like yeah. oh i've done something else that's incredible this is even better yeah but it, it was the your... first time it was the first big thing yeah uh-huh. i didn't i had no idea what it would feel like i, I had i was naive i didn't know i had and sometimes that's a good thing i had <laughs> no idea what it was going to be like out there yeah and I, I had very little rowing experience and a lot of people mm. say well she must be a great rower right but the reality is actually sitting on the seat and pulling the oars is the easiest part to rowing across an ocean you've got to be able to deal with things especially when you're on your own Mm. so my water maker broke so i lost the ability to turn salt water into drinking water Um, i had all sorts of problems i was almost hit by a big commercial uh, tanker and that was that was really quite scary yeah and all sorts of things went wrong but it, when you look back, that it's that 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 what is that that really makes it, and in, mm-hmm. it's unlikely you're going to get across without something going wrong or something happening. And it's mm-hmm. about how do you deal with it, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, it was it was magical, <laughs> fantastic. Being in the Atlantic is probably one of the best places you can be. The wildlife and everything, you know. I remember this this huge fin whale <laughs> came up under my boat and just gently surfaced. And my boat slid off the back oh of God. this whale. This whale is just a fin whale. It's probably the length of a bus. It was huge. Wow. And it was like, wow, what yeah. the hell just happened there? <laughs> you know, and I remember there were beautiful, beautiful big fish swimming over. I'll tell you what was really interesting. They're oceanic white tip sharks. And I had two follow me for a couple of days. And they're very interesting creatures because i wanted them to come closer so i was throwing food in to get them to come closer and they would never ever get close to the boat and they literally they just sat there sort of just hovering around me almost as if they were looking at me <laughs> and i had this theory that i could just jump in and it would be okay but i decided not to, to test that yeah in the yeah, end. yeah it was it was brilliant <laughs> okay i've got sort of two questions i guess on this First question is, how does one go from rowing the Atlantic to climbing Everest? And I suppose pursuant to that, 
Is there anything that you learnt from rowing the Atlantic that you could kind of translate to to climbing Everest as well? How did I go from rowing the Atlantic to climbing Everest? Well, I am a true believer. This was not planned, by the way. It just happened. You see, I learned that when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, doors of opportunity just naturally open. Mm. And it was during my preparation that I met someone who was also rowing the Atlantic at a different time in a different boat and we just became really good friends and he happened to be he didn't tell me to begin with I didn't after a while I learned but he was a very accomplished high altitude climber I think he'd summited Everest five times at, at this point his name's Rob Rob Cassidy a wonderful man his doctor and we just became really friendly and he basically said James after the row come out to Everest with me I was like well, I've climbed before but not to that kind of level and if I'm honest, it was kind of on my mind, but I just sort of focused on getting across the Atlantic. And then when, when I did get across the Atlantic and I got home, we got in contact and, and it, one thing led to another. And, and I found myself in a situation where I had to make a decision because I had a job at the time. Uh, I was luckily, I was given a sabbatical to row across the Atlantic. So I was quite lucky. And in order to go out and climb Everest, I effectively had to leave my job. And I had to kind of make a decision. And I remember I spoke to my boss about it and he was a very, he was a very good guy. And he said to me, he said, when I initially said to him, oh, I need a little bit more time off to climb Everest. He said, on your bike, son, which I think is quite ironic considering <laughs> what I ended up doing a few years later. But he, he actually, this is my own boss. He said to me, listen, you will never get an opportunity like this again. Take it and take that opportunity and grab it as tight as you can. Mm and run with it and you see sometimes human beings are programmed to sort of shy away from stepping out of your comfort zone and taking opportunities and and that is that will really hold someone back Mm -hmm. and the best thing i ever did was to take a few risks and and pursue things that, that came my way it doesn't matter who you are everyone at some point in their life will have an opportunity drop on their lap and it's whether you take it or not and you, you kind of like maximize it. So mm-hmm. it was it was luck how I ended up getting the opportunity to go out to Everest. I mean, I guess I pushed myself out of my comfort zone because I went and rode the Atlantic. And off the back of that, it, it kind of happened. In terms of what I learned out in the Atlantic and, and how I, I, I kind of used that when I was out on Everest and, and just in my everyday life now, I learned that as long as you keep going you will always get what you want or or where you want to be. And I had this kind of mindset that I was out in this huge ocean and as long as I just kept going and didn't row in circles, by default I would get to land. I would would eventually run out of ocean. And I didn't do anything special in the Atlantic. I just kept going. And that got me 3,000 miles across the Atlantic. And that is something that I'll never forget. And I'll tell you what I also learned out there is things change very quickly. And I learned to try and mentally stay on what I call an even keel. Because one day you could be really down, things aren't going so well, you've got very bad weather, you're getting blown back, it's demoralizing. The reality hits you of what you're trying to do. And then all of a sudden the brain starts talking to you like, oh, this is not a very good idea. I shouldn't be out here. Maybe I should just be at home with a regular, doing a regular thing. Mm. Why, why did I come out here? This was such a stupid thing to do. And you've got, you have got to be able to turn those little inner voices off. It doesn't matter who you are. And the most successful people on this planet, 
everyone has to deal with those demons, doesn't matter who you are. Mm. But actually, 12 hours later, the wind might have shifted and you're flying along and you're as high as a kite. You think, this is brilliant. Wow, I'm so pleased I did this. This is great. I'm living the dream. But then the next day it could all go back again. And, and so things changed very quickly and I learned to try not to let my emotions kind of control me. And so your brain is your greatest ally, but at the same time it can be your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you start when you start to get into that kind of slightly negative downslope, your brain starts saying, well, hang about this. You start naturally making excuses for yourself and you naturally start talking yourself out mm. of something. And then all of a sudden you've talked yourself into a good idea that, is a, that you need to give up or would come back and do it another time. Now it's a little bit difficult. You can't just give up when you're rowing across an ocean. You can't get out and just walk home. So you're kind of, you're there, you're committed. Mm-hmm. But it, but it really taught me, you know, don't ever let your brain talk you out of doing something. Because if you can just switch that off and just keep going, you'll be bloody amazed at where that will take you. And I kind of use that now in everything that I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see, you need to be able to try and switch your brain off. Sometimes overthinking things is a big problem. So I just focus on what I need to do. And no matter what's going on up here, no matter what, I just focus. Today, I have to do this. And it was row for 12 hours when I was out there. Now it might be, I have to send all these emails or do this and do that. But it's the same thing. No matter what's going on up here, just get your stuff done. If you do that, and that, that to me... I've been quite lucky. I've met quite a lot of successful people over the years in my quest for sponsorship. And I'll tell you something. The only difference between someone who you might look at and think, wow, that person's great. They're really successful. They've got a great business. They've got loads of money. They've done loads of cool stuff. The only thing that's different between them and someone else is their their consistency. They don't let their brain talk them out of doing stuff. They just do it. Mm. And I'm telling you that. That's what I learned from the Atlantic. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. So, yeah, tell me a bit about what it was like to, to climb Everest. I mean, the, the sort of the experiential aspect of it. What was it like climbing Everest? It was really hard, mm-hmm. if I'm honest with you. Um, I was quite lucky. I, I mean, I didn't have a huge amount of experience when I went out there. Luckily, Everest is very straightforward. It's not a technical climb. If you brought Everest down to sea level, you could, in fact, run up it. Um, and it's just it's the sheer height that makes it so difficult. You you cannot grasp the size of Everest until you're there and you, you kind of see what it's like. But it's a very different experience from rowing across the Atlantic. I was out there for nearly four months on my own. But when you go out to Everest, you're with other people. The expedition lasts about six weeks. So it's not really that long in the grand scheme of things. And overall, I had a wonderful experience. Now, I was quite lucky because I was also with a, Rob, my friend who I was going to climb with, actually couldn't make it. He, was, he, was, he became quite ill. So that year... He didn't make it, so my plan was to go out there with him, and that didn't quite materialise because he was unable to come. But it just so happened another chap was climbing. His name was Charles, and and he was quite a bit older. Uh, He'd already attempted Everest before, and he got to the point where he was about 100 metres from the top and had to turn around and go back, come back down. So he was out there for the second time to try and nail this. 
and he he was old enough to be my dad actually but we we kind of clicked and he almost by default became this sort of father figure and he would be he would reassure me that we could do it everything was okay and i am i really am a true believer that people come in and out of your life for a reason mm. and and actually i've never seen charles since we do keep in contact with one another but i've physically not seen him since we got since we were out on everest and i truly believe that he was there to to help me too because he really helped me get through that whole experience every time we were sort of struggling or we wasn't sure what was going on he was constantly it was very positive now actually he was a very successful guy in his own right he owned numerous restaurants and properties and goodness knows what but he he had a good mindset and he had a good attitude yeah. that is why you know if you don't even need to be a smart person if you have a good mindset and a good attitude that will that will take you further than anything else and he really helped me out on everest and so mentally everest wasn't difficult because i had was within good company but boy physically it was difficult um the best way to describe it is as you get a bit higher up imagine sprinting down the street as hard as you can and you are out of breath to the point where you can't even talk you're just catching your breath as you get higher up it's like that but just taking one small step at a time you are you, literally as i got closer to the summit i was literally i could only take 10 steps and then i'd have to stop 10 steps and you're walking Jeez. you couldn't intentionally walk this slow if if you were sort of at normal sea level um and physically it was difficult beautiful scenery beautiful yes it was cold but you wear the right equipment so i got a little bit of frost nip but you shouldn't be getting frostbite it's bad personal admin to be getting you see years ago it'd be a little bit of a war wound to say yeah i lost my finger but now people would say well what did you do wrong mm. so <laughs> the equipment has advanced so it's quite a bit uh, it was incredible working with the local sherpas and the people the local nepalese people i'll yeah. never forget them they were just just truly wonderful and overall it the it went quite quick and it was a real blur i never thought of reaching the summit until uh, charles and i were heading to the summit because everest is so massive you you've got to break it down into camps and you have to go through a series of acclimatization climbs and when i flew out to nepal my goal was just to get to base camp that was it just just get to base camp feeling as fit and as fresh as i could you you see lower down trekking up through the himalayas and in the sort of lower camps there's lots of uh, you get lots of colds and flus and germs kind of floating around higher up that doesn't exist so you don't get that so my goal was just to get to base camp feeling fit and fresh without getting a, a, a cold as things take twice as long to heal up there so the lack of oxygen yeah. and then the most dangerous part of climbing everest is really going through the kumbu icefall which is this huge mass of ice that moves and shifts and, and can collapse and it is very dangerous so my goal was okay let's just get through the icefall get up to camp 1 and then that's another thing ticked off so we did that and then we sort of come back down and then it was right okay got to get to camp 2 getting to camp 2 was quite simple And then it was like okay my next goal is I've got to get to camp 3 and I knew someone said to me again they said if you can get to camp 3 statistically most people who get to camp 3 do go on to get to to the top mm-hmm. so in my mind I'm thinking well all I need to do is get to camp 3 and statistically I'll probably then know 
that I can get to the top. And actually, I got to camp three with no real real problems. And then, um, yeah, it was strange. I, and, and I remember I didn't even think about the summit until it, all, it was 12 o'clock at night and we were at camp four. So we're above 8,000 meters. We're in the death zone now. And you're no longer acclimatizing. Your, your body is slowly dying. So you can only stay up there for 24, 48 hours at that kind of height. And it was dark, it was pitch black, but it was a very calm night. It was beautiful, not a breath of wind. And we set off, it took me about 12 hours to get, no, I think about 10 actually. But it took me quite a long time to get from Camp 4 up to the summit. And then you, know, you start to see the sun come up and it's just, it's magical. But it was strange because... You're struggling with the lack of oxygen. My brain was almost numb. I kind of didn't really have any emotion. I knew what I was doing. I knew where I was. I knew what I needed to do in order to keep myself safe. You're clipping in and out of safety ropes and things. And you're going through the process. And you know where you are. But you're not really taking it in. I wasn't anyway. And it didn't really sink in that I'd, that I'd climbed the world's highest mountain until I actually got home. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, it was really a case of just one step at a time. That's, and, uh, you know, you, if you put one foot in front of you, that'll get you to the top of the world. And I'll, I'll tell you that because I've been there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and, you know, it's the same with anything. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep, keep going, keep going. You'll always get where you want to go. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the, the cycle around the world does strike me as probably the most intimidating of the challenges, just given the sheer enormity of it. Like, how do you, go about preparing yourself for that how did i prepare myself to cycle around the world well the whole kind of concept of cycling around the world really came to me when i was i just got back from everest and i was unfortunately quite unwell i'd succumbed to quite a nasty lung infection mm-hmm. and i was the day that i flew home from from nepal i was then put taken to hospital actually and i spent a week there and whilst i was lying there i just kind of thought to myself wouldn't it be a great idea to cycle around the world So I got myself better and I went through that process of trying to get to the start line. Now, luckily at this point, I'd sort of served my apprenticeship to a certain extent. I rode the Atlantic, I'd climbed Everest. Mm. So people listened to me when I said, hey, I'm going to cycle around the world. I'm raising money for a great charity. Um, you know, help, can you, can you help me? And actually cycling around the world was pretty straightforward. If you can't cycle or you're not a very good cyclist, well, guess what? You've got 18,000 miles to learn. And so you don't really need to be as fit as you might think, because I promise you, you're going to get fit on the go. Now, if you were going for a record where you needed to do you know, 200 plus miles a day, that's a different project, really is. But I was doing, it averaged out to be about 100 miles a day. And it sounds like a lot. But if I'm really honest with you, if you've got all day, you know, let's say you get up at six or seven and you're on your bike at eight o'clock in the morning, you will, you should quite easily by the early evening have covered the best part of a hundred miles. So, you know, then you've got the evening to just relax and eat. Sometimes I camped out. Sometimes I stayed with people and things. And it's not that difficult. The, the the difficult part is again dealing with things as and when they they break so bike failures bike problems mm. i was unsupported so that means no one was following me in a car buying me mcdonald's and fixing my punches and dealing with everything and again the easiest part was sitting on the bike spinning the pedals um but uh it, it, yeah it was again my, I, I, very similar to everest my goal was just to get 
through certain days, like just get through the day and get through the legs. So I had the first leg was like uh, London down to Istanbul. Then I was uh, headed out through um, India and Thailand, Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. And then I had the Australia leg from Perth to Brisbane. That was magical. Uh, And then I cycled across America and then I flew to Lisbon and cycled back up to London. So it was all broken down. Everything I do is broken down because rowing a boat across an ocean or cycling around the world, it's too big a task to look at in one. It will blow your brain apart. Your brain, you won't be able to, you, you won't be able to grasp the concept of that. It's too big. Mm-hmm. But actually, when you break it down, it's actually very, very manageable um, if, you, if you look at it like that. And that, you know, I remember, I think I was about a month in and I'd already got as fit as I was ever going to be after about a month. And I was at a point where I could get on a bike and cycle 100 miles, just like that, no problem. I could get up in the morning and before even breakfast, I could knock out 50 miles. But you get to the point where you, you know, you, you're pretty fit. The, the human body is incredible at acclimatizing to things and getting used to things. Mm-hmm. You will be able to do far more than you think you can do. Um, when you need to and you only really find out what you can do when you need to do it Um, but uh, yeah I met some incredible people you know and I say this to people all the time the kindness and generosity that I experienced when I was going around the world I'll never forget and I'll be playing forward these favours for the rest of my life and you know honestly it really doesn't matter what skin colour you have or what religion you, 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 you practice or what country you come from. I'll tell you something and I'll tell you what I learned. And it was going around the world that really cemented this for me. And that was 99.99% of human beings that walk the face of this earth are wonderful, great, kind people. And that, that is something I'll never forget. So many people were so, so good to me and they didn't need to be. I was just some lunatic riding a bike around the world. And I wanted to, I do a lot of work with kids and I wanted to speak in a school in every country I visited because I didn't want to be another British lunatic sort of fulfilling my own dreams. And uh, I managed to do that. And I spoke to over 10,000 young people when I went around the world. I was really pleased about that. Yeah. That's amazing. But I could talk to you all day about it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you decide that you would write a book about the things that you had achieved and accomplished? Well, it was something that I thought, when I was cycling around the world, I had a lot of time to think. And the trick is to use your time wisely. Think about all the things you want to do when you get back. Mm. And I thought, it really makes sense to try and write a book. And I I had no visions or desire to to write some amazing book. It was never going to make me a whole load of money. I was never going to be a best-selling author. And I just had this goal. I just want to write a book. And I was determined to write it myself. I didn't want someone to interview me and write it for me. Mm-hmm. Although there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just didn't really feel like I could say, hey, I've written a book when someone else wrote it for me. So I thought, right, this is what I'm going to do. And I had all these wonderful experiences and I wanted to share them with people. And so I thought, right, I'm going to write a book. Again, I had no idea how to do it. I really struggled at school. I mean, by this point, I've been writing blogs for a while and my ability to write and articulate myself had, had improved. But, you know, writing a book was really quite an intimidating thing. But again, 
I just broke it all down into sections. Now I had all the blogs that I'd written from the Atlantic and Everest sort of stored on my laptop. So I thought, well, I can, I can go through them. And I just broke it all down and thought, all I want, I, my goal was to write about all three things. Uh, because this whole concept of the ultimate triathlon uh, was was really brought up by the media when I finished the cycle. Um, I didn't come up with the term ultimate triathlon. The media did. I felt a bit guilty because I've never completed a triathlon, actually. <laughs> but no one ever questioned me. And I just thought, well, okay, if I write about each thing that happened and all the people that I met, I'm guessing I've got a fair bit of content. And I just... I just started writing. I just, I literally got my laptop, uh, opened up a Word document and just started writing. And I, I was almost a little bit bipolar with it. One minute I loved it and I felt really creative. And I was writing three, four, sometimes 5,000 words a day that, were, that I thought was good quality. And then other times I just could not string a sentence together. It just wasn't flowing. I was quite, I worked with an editor. So I used to send a few thousand words at a time to my editor and she would say, yeah, it's really good. Uh, or take this out, uh, go into a bit more detail on this. So, you know, everyone who writes a book will work with an editor. That's their job. So that took the whole worrying about sort of grammar. And so, I mean, you don't need to worry about spelling anymore. The, the computer does all that for you. Mm -hmm. Grammar, someone will tidy that up for you. All I had to do was just tell the story. And I wanted to try and tell the story in a way that I was, if I was speaking to someone, this is, this is how I would tell it. So I wrote it like that. Mm. And it seemed, it was quite a challenge. Do you know, it took me one year to write this book. And if I'm honest, for a lot of the time, it felt like it was never going to end. It just kept going and going. But, I then sort of got to that halfway point and then I just started writing. Then I had to start writing about cycling around the world. And then I was on the last sort of bit and I was like, hang about. Actually, you know what? I've surprised myself here. A, I've enjoyed this or I am enjoying it. And B, I don't think this is that bad. I'm no author, but I, you know, from what books I have read, I think I'm doing a half decent job of this. And then all of a sudden, as I got closer to finishing it, I thought, wow, I'm really going to write a book. This is going to happen. And then I, I got to the point where it was finished and then it was published. And then the feeling that I got when I held that first copy in my hand was, <laughs> was really magical. And I've been quite lucky. I sold, sold quite a few thousand copies. Um, and the feedback I've had has been, been really, really good. So you never know. And you know, if you'd have said to me when I was a little kid at school, you would have written a book, so don't be so sure. I mean, I wouldn't even look at a book, I mean, let alone write one. So, yeah. you know, um, if anyone is thinking about writing a book, stop thinking about it and do it. <laughs> I promise you, it's the best thing that you can do. I don't, you know, really make a great deal of money out of them. It was never about that. It was just, this is the goal, to write a book. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I was really pleased that I did it. What are you most proud of out of everything that you've achieved? What am I most proud of out of everything I've achieved? The fact that I took a risk and tried to pursue a dream. And so far, it's kind of working out. <laughs> kind of know where I want to be. I kind of know what I want to do. And I'm, I'm quite pleased about that because it's too easy 
to conform to what other people think is right for you. And the reality is the only person that knows what is right for you is yourself. You know, your parents may think they know what's best for you, but actually they don't. Only you do. And you have to understand everyone, like one person who may think you're making a mistake by doing something or tries to talk you out of it is not trying to deny you of an opportunity. They think they know what's, what's right, but also times are changing and it is okay to pursue your own dream, your own goal. And if you want something, I'll tell you one of the things that I learned, if you want something enough and you're prepared to put the working, any hobby or anything you do can be turned into some kind of business. There's always a way if you want something enough. But people are frightened to, to, to pursue their own dreams because mm. they think, well, it's not, I just, it's not really normal, is it? I just better have a normal job. You know, mum and dad have told me this is a bad idea. But mum and dad don't have a clue because they were born in a different generation. Yeah. And so it's not their fault. They just don't understand. Their way of thinking is different. Mm. They're, not, you know, they're not in the current time. Mm. So, yeah, I'm quite pleased about the fact that I had a dream and decided to sort of pursue it. But it was strange because I only set out to row across the Atlantic. I did not set out to become a full-time speaker, author, adventurer. That all just kind of happened and I accidentally fell into it. I, I love talking to people and I love sharing stories of adventure and fun and... I started speaking when I got back from the Atlantic and just started speaking in scout groups and I started going into schools, just telling a story. That's all I was doing. But then when I got back from Everest, I managed to get a lot of really nice footage that I've shot up on the summit, going up through the icefall, the Hillary step, and it really brings the story to life. Mm. So I started that. So I had that to talk about too. And all of a sudden, someone started. Someone offered to pay me to go into their work and give a talk. I thought, wow, okay, cool. Didn't think anything of it. Kept doing it, kept doing it. And all of a sudden, more and more people started asking me to, to speak. Then one day, I got picked up by a speaking agent. And I had to find a job when I got back from Everest, ideally, because I'd left my job. I'd sold everything that I owned, and I moved back in with my parents to reduce the overheads. And you've got to make sacrifices sometimes to do the things that you want to do. Mm. Nothing worth having comes easy. Um, but then I thought, well, hang about, do I really need to go back to work? Because I'm, I seem to be giving a few talks a month. People are paying me to do this. Hang about. I seem to have accidentally fallen into speaking here. Uh, but I really love it. And I want to do more of this. How can I figure out how to do more of this? And then, yeah, before you know it, I'm sort of a full-time speaker and, and I, th- I still don't really use the term adventurer, full-time adventurer. Cause I, for me, I feel it's a bit cheesy, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I do a few things and I talk about them and that's about it really. But when you find what I was lucky enough to find something that I loved. And when I look back, that's why I was a little bit lost when I was young, but every kid is really, you know, it's a part of growing up. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But then all of a sudden I found something that I love. I thought that it was like a light switch. Bing, just went on. It's like, this is what I want to do. This makes me happy. I feel like I'm achieving something. I can also share stories of fun and adventure with young people. And hang about, if I really make an effort with this, maybe I could make a difference and potentially 
inspire some young people to pursue their own goals and dreams, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. And and so that's really what I'm doing. And yeah. just carry on doing it. Um, luckily, I've never been booed off stage, so I'll just keep doing it until that happens. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Um, I'm also quite pleased and quite proud of the fact that I do do a lot of work with young people. As you said, I'm an ambassador for the scouts and, mm-hmm. and things. And I don't know whether mentally I'm a bit young myself, but for some reason I have this ability to connect with young people. I'll go into a room or a school and I'll, I'll just start talking. And for some reason I seem to be able to get their attention. I don't know whether that's because I've done a few cool things and they, they think that's cool and they respect that or, or what, I don't know. But the amount of times I've gone into a school and the teacher said, hey, man, I have never, ever seen these boys, especially that one, especially that one. I've never seen him sit still for an hour and, 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 and concentrate like that. How do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Just talk. And so, again, it's something that I really enjoy. And like I said, you know, when you find out what you really enjoy, take that and, and run with it. Because yeah. I'll tell you something. I re- the most valuable thing we have is time. People don't realize that. Mm. They think the most valuable thing they have is money. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. And I remember when I was 16, 17, 18, I was sort of a bit lazy. I got fired from more jobs and I had hot dinners. Um, yeah, and then before you know it, I'm 35 years old. Where's the last 15 years gone? And one of the things someone said to me the other day, what do you regret? Uh, I don't really have any regrets, if I'm honest. But in some ways, I wish I found what I love doing earlier on. Because I would have started, I would have, I would have started doing this when I was twenty instead of I think it was about twenty-five when I started rowing, when I rode the Atlantic. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? I mean, this is this is going a bit deeper. What do you feel at this stage is your kind of purpose in life? I would say that my purpose in life is to carry on doing the things that I love doing, but also try and encourage other people that actually I'm a pretty simple guy. And if I can do the things that I've managed to do, then anyone can do anything. They, they really can. I am not a smart person at all. I've just got an ability to set my mind on something and, and, and do it. And I'm quite lucky. I'm quite good at convincing people to buy into my ideas. So that is quite useful. Um, but one of the things that I'm starting to move into now is helping other people with, with their sort of expeditions and things. I took a chap across the Atlantic Ocean in a pedalo last year. His name's Anthony, a wonderful man. And he was a very successful guy in his own right. He'd, he'd made a lot of money and he wanted, he had this dream. He wanted to cross the Atlantic, but he didn't have a clue how to do it. So he was put in contact with me and he said, James, I don't know what I'm doing but I know I want to do this. Teach me everything you know. Let's make it happen together. And so so we did, and it was incredible. It was a brilliant job. And so my purpose now, one of my purposes now, is to help other people pursue their goals and dreams. Mm. Um, if someone said to me, can you help me how to be a lawyer? I wouldn't have a clue. But if, you know, if it's something I understand, i.e. Yeah, they want to cycle around the world, or they want to cross an ocean, or they want to go away and do something on a sort of an adventure... Uh, sort of scale I can help when I'm relatively well qualified to do that so it's sort of helping other people pursue their own goals and dreams I get a real kick out of that I actually have 
believe it or not, I have no interest in saying, look at me, look what I've done. And I don't really like self-promotion, if I'm honest. I like to talk lots, but I don't like self-promotion. I did realise a few years ago that if I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, I have to promote myself to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to do it without looking like a total dickhead, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, just sort of helping helping other people and, and continuing my work with young people. Mm-hmm. I like doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just... And if I'll be really honest, even if no one knew who I was and I was to never, ever get any recognition for anything ever again, it's not a problem. I'll still do what I want to do. There's a lot of people out there in this world that do things for ulterior reasons and motives. Now, I don't really care what they do, what other people do. But for me, it's very important to be true to yourself and do the things that you want to do for the reasons that you want to do them, not because what you're going to get out of it, or this person might see me do that, or, wow, I'll get a bigger profile, or Mm. whatever. So Mm. all that kind of good stuff comes, I think, off the back of just being true to yourself and genuine and doing the stuff that you like doing, and um, just being honest, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. But that's that's what I'm sort of most proud of, and my purpose now is just to keep doing more of what I like, and try and encourage other people that actually it's not as difficult as you think mm. to go off and pursue a dream. The hardest part is actually just taking the first step. Once you've taken that first step, believe it or not, it actually gets a lot easier. Yeah. Doesn't You wouldn't think so, but it does. It's a brilliant message. I really like it. <laughs> so imagine, you know, if you could visualize yourself having completed everything that you ever wanted to do and living, I suppose, you know, your greatest life where you've, nailed everything what does that look like that's a very good question i don't know uh probably similar to where i am now i'm quite happy i feel fairly um i feel sort of uh, fairly comfortable with where i am uh, and content so that's the word i was looking for i feel relatively content but i think it's very important that you understand who you are and what drives you and what makes you happy and I think I'll always, no matter what, I'll always be working towards something or doing something. So I don't think I'll ever be sitting there doing nothing going, oh, I've done everything now, I'm just going to do nothing, because that's just not me. Yeah. I'll always be working on something or helping someone do something. Because isn't it funny? I remember when, when I was young, I used to think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have loads of money so you didn't have to work? But do you know what? That would be my worst nightmare now. Not having loads of money, but... I couldn't think of anything worse than not having something to focus on, not having something to work towards. And working, you see, when you find out what you love and you go and do it, you will never, ever do a day's work in your life again because it's not work. It's fun. You know, and if someone dropped 10 million quid on my lap tomorrow and said, there you go, you don't have any financial worries now nothing would change i'd give most of it away and i'd still do what i'm doing now mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that that is that's the, the, the for me that's that's kind of the, the peak of inspiration really is someone living truly in alignment with what they absolutely love and yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of pursuing that fully and i'll tell you something and i i tell this to young people that i speak to all the time 
Don't get wrapped up in looking at other people and looking at what they're doing and seeing these celebrities on TV. It's not real. It's not the real world. Focus on what you want to do. There'll always, always be someone out there who's bigger, who's better, more successful, more followers, got more money. But that's cool. There's also going to be people out there who are not going to be doing as well as, as you. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't really look into what other people are doing. I just do my own thing. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like your legacy to be? What would I like my legacy to be? I'd like people to say, you know what? James Ketchell was a nice, genuine guy. He had time for everyone. He did a few cool things, um, uh, but he also gave a lot back. And, you know, he, he, he spent time with people trying to help other people too. And overall, he's just a fairly decent guy. That's, you know, I'm happy with that. Yeah. That, that's all. I have no desire to be some celebrity. I don't even really like that kind of celebrity culture. The world of media and it's not, I kind of experienced it to a certain extent. It's not all as nice as you may think, if I'm really honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just, yeah. I just want someone to go, yeah, I know James. He was a cool guy. He was a nice guy. And uh, he did a few cool things. That's it, really. <laughs> You're doing a good job of that just now. Uh-huh. Definitely. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a really good question. The best advice I've ever received would be <sighs> make the most of your time. You see, when I was young, I spent a lot of time laying around sleeping in till God knows, all day, just I was such a lazy waster, if I'm honest, when I was a kid. And my best advice was, you know, make the most of your time and don't ever give up because the difference between someone who is seemingly a very successful person and has made it, the only difference is they just didn't give up. They just kept going. And that's why they're in the position that they're in. It's not because they're smarter than anyone else at all. It's just that they they just, they got back up when they were knocked down and, and that's really it. And I think the most useful advice, there's, there's to answer that question is multiple advice really. And that would be maximize your time. It's Your time is priceless. It's the most important thing that any human being has. You never know when your time is up. Um, and try and, Surround yourself with good people that complement you and your life. And, and you know, life is, being with people is a two-way street. You don't just want to take, take, take from people. You want to be able to give too. Um, but, uh, yeah, so think about the sort of people that you're, you're hanging around with. That's quite important. Your, your peer group, you are shaped by the people that you hang around with. Yeah. Um, maximize your time. And don't let your brain get the best of you. So many people, everyone out there has the ability to, to do remarkable things that, that, that they know they have the capability to do. It's, it's within them, but their brain talks them out of doing it. And it's so sad. So, yeah, there you go. It's just a few things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the, the hallmarks of successful people and high achievers is their habits or things that they do daily their practices 
What are some of the things or, or habits that you might have that have led to the successes that you've had? What are the habits I have? Uh, I would love to say I get up at four o'clock every morning, <laughs> yeah. but I don't. I'm terrible. Um, but I'll tell you what I do do every day is I write a list of things that I want to do and I write stuff down. And I'll tell you a very quick story. When I first got my sort of real proper job, I was working in sales for a big American firm. It was a good job. And my boss, he said to me, I, I, he told me to do something and I forgot to do it. And he made me for the next two months write down a to-do list because I never used a to-do list. And he said, I want you to write down everything, every single job you got to do today. You write it down and you tick it off. And at the end of the day, I want you to write down what you're going to do tomorrow. And do you know what? I thought at the time, I thought it was a real insult to the point where I was thinking about handing my notes in. I thought, what an insult. I don't need to do that. But it was the best thing that could have happened because it doesn't matter how smart you are. Everyone should have a to-do list. And I write I write things down. Otherwise, I just forget them. <laughs> and so he did me a massive favor because I, it introduced me to actually it's really important to, have, to write things down. So in terms of a habit, I write things down and I like to tick them off. And I like to sort of say, well, by the end of this day, I've done this, this and this. And, and uh, that's quite yeah. important. It's a good one. But it's to underrated, really, though. To really be, and it's just so simple. Yeah. And I, you know, your trouble is you'd ask the same, you can ask the same question to lots of people and they'll probably give you all these flashy answers. But yeah, the, I, I don't really have any flashy answers. The truth is, I just write stuff down. You know, and I listen, I, I hear videos and watch videos and stuff and, and you see people saying, yeah, I get up at four o'clock every day. I only sleep for four hours because I work, work, work. <laughs> it's total crap. Yeah. If I'm, this is my opinion. Uh-huh. You um, yeah, totally <laughs> you, you need to rest. You, you, you know, you, got, you can't, whilst it's, yes, I'm sure you can get up at four o'clock, but for me, you need to, you need to get proper rest and things and, if there's no point in working yourself into the ground where you yeah. get ill and then you're you're not you're not on good form, you're not thinking correctly. You know, life is not a sprint; it's mm-hmm. a marathon, mm-hmm. and you need to, to sort of pace yourself and and think about the things that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, a lot of that I think comes as well from understanding yourself and knowing exactly. what works for you. Exactly. You know, for sure. And actually, do you know what? What works for me. Mm-hmm. It may not work for someone else. So the actual answer to that is there's no right or wrong. Hmm. It's what works for you, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. Who are some of the people that have either inspired or had the greatest influence on you? That's a very good question because a lot of people ask me that and they expect me to, to probably name all of these incredible intrepid explorers and things. And whilst I do have a huge amount of respect for for people of you know the people that were going off and finding new countries and you know thought they were going to sail off the side of the earth and you know the people that you know, have done significant things whilst I have huge huge respect for them the people that have had the most impact on me and have been really good role models to me are the people that have been closest to me so a good example of that would be my dad just a normal hard working guy who's always had a really good attitude he, I've never once in my 35 years seen him cry or be down and fed up or feel sorry for himself. And both my mum and dad have worked very hard to 
give me food, give me clothes, give me a place to live and look after and support me. And what people don't realize is the people that you have to be really grateful to, really thankful for, are actually the people that are around you every day and you think nothing of because you take them for granted. I don't really look up to any of these people that you see on TV. It's not, TV is not real. Uh, I look up to, to my parents who've been very good to me and have helped me a lot. Um, so, so yeah, that's, I look up to them and hopefully when they're a little bit older and their time is almost up, they can say, well, you know, our son turned out okay. He's a good boy and he's done some cool things and he's got a good attitude. The only thing that you have control over in your life is uh, having a good attitude and a good mindset when everything else is falling apart around you. And it will do at some point, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I've been rescued twice, once in the Atlantic, once in the Indian Ocean, and, and, and I have worked on projects that, that haven't gone my way. Mm-hmm. And I also say to people, anyone who's achieved anything at some point is going to have had a whole load of stuff not work out. Because if you have never failed at anything, you're not really pushing yourself. <laughs> Sometimes things don't go to plan. And when that happens, the only thing that you have control over is your own mindset and your own attitude. Um, what would you, what do you think is the greatest obstacle you have overcome? The greatest obstacle I've overcome, uh, it's not really that accident. That wasn't that big a deal. The greatest, I'll tell you exactly what the greatest obstacle I've overcome is myself. Because when I was young, I talked myself out of everything. I had zero confidence. And I was a, I was always a good person, but I was a very different person to who I am now. I had no confidence. I would always shy away from everything, and I wouldn't push myself out of my comfort zone. And, and I would like to think that I've overcome that to a certain extent now. So because I have no problem pushing myself and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. In a really weird, bizarre way, I get a bit of a kick out of pushing myself. And how, so how did you do that? How did you force yourself to get uncomfortable? One step at a time. Yeah. I took that risk to row that boat across the Atlantic and it worked out. And then it's, and that gave, that instilled some pretty solid confidence in me because no matter what you then do for the rest of your life, you think, well, if I can do that, mm. surely whatever else I have to face in life can't be that, that big a deal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses. Some people, they can't push themselves out of their comfort zone. And, and it's a shame because everyone can. It's just up here. It's just not letting them. And so the biggest, the, the thing that I've has been a real challenge for me and the thing that I'm I'm really quite pleased that I feel I've overcome to a certain extent was getting on top of my own mind hmm. that is the most valuable thing anyone can do because life is really all about having the right mindset and having the right attitude if you have you'll have a good life no matter what happens and it's all about how you look at things you know are you one of these guys that looks at things and think oh gee that's not working out because he didn't do this or that didn't work out. There's a lot of people in this world where nothing is their fault. Everything is someone else's fault. I can't stand that. Just sometimes take responsibility that actually if you're not where you are or stuff's going wrong, it's your fault. Deal with it. What are you going to do about it? Because it's no one else's fault. 
It's only yours. It's only you have. Everyone has the 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 the, the, the potential to to sort things out themselves. But it's easy, isn't it, to say, "Well, yeah, the bank didn't give me another loan, so I missed the mortgage payment, and now I don't have a house." But it was the bank's fault that that stitched me up. It's not my fault that I'm not going to work because I can't be bothered, you know. So sometimes reality really hurts and the truth sometimes can not be very nice but the worst thing you can ever do is shy away from the truth and sometimes doing the right thing in life is actually the hardest thing yeah. typical <laughs> but um mm. yeah once you you learn that and you take responsibility for who you are where you are and where you want to go mm. you'll be amazed at the things that come your way yeah <laughs> I would normally ask actually if you had the opportunity to speak to your 20 year old self what would you say but I actually suspect that the version of James that probably needed the advice the most would be school James when he's kind of skinny and you know got spots and whatnot. what would you say to him now what would I say to that, that boy now I would say pay attention to what you're doing uh, but I would also say everything works out in the end and it's never too late. You know, I was sort of 25 when I found the things that I like doing. But hey, even if you're 55 or 65, mm. it's never, ever too late to pursue a dream or attempt to try something new. The worst thing you can ever do is not do anything <laughs> because, you, because you're scared. So the advice that I would have really to any young person is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to try. If you don't ask for things, if you don't try for things, nothing will ever happen. And you create your own luck. If you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, I promise you, you will get lucky. You will, by default. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Oh, great. If I could change anything in the world, what would it be? I think I would change the way I... There's not enough people in this world that help other people. There are. I mean, there are good people out there. But times are changing now. And human beings are becoming a little bit selfish. They're only focused on doing their own thing. And I believe life is like a clock. And I'm at six o'clock at the moment and there are a lot of people at 12 o'clock who've been very successful and they have helped me and at some point I want to be at 12 o'clock so I can help younger people and, and, and other people fulfill their own dreams and things and too many people are wrapped up in themselves and they're not willing to do things for other people um, and human beings are becoming a little bit more disposable now I think with the birth of social media and, and dating apps and all sorts of crap that, that, that's, that's really out there now. Yeah. So I think that if I could change one thing, it would be just if, stop for a minute and think, what can I do to help someone else? Too many people are wrapped up in what they want, how much money they have or they want to try and earn. As And, and life, I'll tell you something, I've met lots of people with lots of money. And life is not about what you have. It's about what you do for other people. 
I have zero. I don't. I have no interest in someone that shows off and flashes all their flashy stuff. That's great, and you may have worked very hard for it. Awesome, <laughs> but you know what? What are you doing for other people? And that to me is important. Yeah, that's brilliant. I absolutely yeah. love that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. James, it's been brilliant speaking with you. Well, the, the time has it. passed incredibly quickly, actually. Well, I've um, really enjoyed it. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm really grateful for you having me here. I love sharing stories and chatting, and this, this is what I do. So You're incredibly you good at it. the time. And, you really uh, are. Yeah, I've got an incredible project going on next year. Incredible. And I'll come back and we'll share it with you. Fantastic. So we can let everyone find out. But um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if anyone's interested, they can look on my website and pick up a copy of the book and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that we that you maybe wanted to cover that we haven't covered? Or uh, I think um, if anyone's interested in following me, you, you can on my social media, which is at Captain Catch. And I have a little, I have a little YouTube channel, <laughs> which it's, I'm starting to vlog and stuff and yeah. I've followed other. This is exact. This is an example of the stuff I was talking about. I've been following people on YouTube for years, thinking I like that. I like that. I want to have a go at it. I like it. And people say to me, "You live this quite interesting life. You're always going off here doing this." And I mm. thought, "Well, I'm going to start documenting it because it's a goal. It's mm-hmm. fun." So I have a little YouTube channel. It's just James Ketchell. You can you can find it and subscribe. It's all free to do. Just, yeah, yeah. And so. That's a, that's a new thing that I'm working on is my little YouTube and vlogging thing. I've been enjoying it. I, God knows if I'm any good, but I just have a go. And that's all you can do. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, check me out. Follow me there. And if anyone's got any questions, just I don't ever, ever not respond to people. So, Even if someone wrote me an email saying, you're a bloody idiot and I can't stand you. I'd reply back saying, cool, thanks for your time. Appreciate the feedback. I'll try and be better. So I'll never not reply to someone. So if anyone asks me any questions or I, I do get a lot of young people come to me now asking me how you go about raising funds for sponsorship and, and expeditions and advice. And I always have time for everyone, no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as not having time. It's mm-hmm. about how you prioritize it and what you do. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, drop me an email if anyone's got any questions. Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. No worries. James, thank you for having me, Elliot. Thank you so much for your time. I've, I've absolutely loved it. And, cool. Uh, I hope to see yeah. you again. Definitely. All right. James, thank, thank you, you so much. Cheers. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and we'll see you at the next episode.